Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Destination Linux Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're going to play pretend. We're going to imagine there's a world, it's magical, in which you can actually get your hands on the new GPUs that NVIDIA and AMD just launched. We're going to give you the rundown on these unicorns just in case you might be able to find one. Then we're going to head to Camera Corner, where Wendy will discuss Canon stepping up their game in the video recording element. So sit back, relax, and plug in, because Hardware Attic starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two co-hosts, Wendy, a resident photographer extraordinaire and hardware enthusiast, along with Michael, the software sage and hardware padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, what have you been up to? So I have an interesting thing that it's 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 tech adventure, sort of. It's more of like a furniture, but it's a gaming chair, so it's still computer setup related. And that is, I bought a titan xl gaming chair from secret labs that sounds very fancy it sounds very expensive too frankly it is kind of expensive yes and it's one of the most expensive gaming chairs and i got it because i was looking for a chair that fits big people and by big people i mean i'm um, around six four six five so it requires a very tall chair and every chair i've tried in my life has been very small for me so i'm trying to you know, look for stuff that's made for tall people. And unfortunately, this one's not really fitting me that well. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold up, Michael. Why are you getting any other chairs when you have a stool? The person who swears by the stools is trying to get a gaming chair. Proper ergonomics and posture is to change your seating position in multiple cases. The whole point mm -hmm. of the stool is for active sitting. So sometimes you're in a chair, sometimes you're in a stool, sometimes you're standing and you go back and forth. There's actually a reason for it and that is it. You need to mix it up and that gives you the best possible posture. However, you still need a chair to have that one element of the switch up stuff. Oh, okay. And All right. I've had a ergo chair from Autonomous for years, and it's not a bad chair. I actually kind of like the chair. And I've seen many people doing videos about gaming chairs versus ergo office chairs, and pretty much everyone says no to the gaming chair. They always say, don't get a gaming chair. They're pointless. They're, the They're wrong. Definitely better. It just depends on what, you know, what people want. So uh, this particular gaming chair is not really for me. I mean, being tall makes it really hard to find a chair, but the thing that about this one is that it's not, it's kind of meant for both uh, large people and tall people. And by that, I guess you can deduce what I mean. Uh, so it's like very firm cushion. It's very thick. It's not that comfortable, but it height wise, it's pretty close. Like it's, it's still a little too short. So just strap some lead to your butt and it'll be cushiony then again. Just needs I, to I, I have a little more weight behind very, it ergonomic though <laughs> what? i also have an ergo chair from autonomous and i'm kind of curious about how stiff the cushion is on your titan xl chair because i find the ergo chair to be too stiff triple the ergo chair yeah it's very stiff whoa that's like sitting on a rock i should be clarifying the titan xl 
is like prepped for people who weigh like 350 pounds or something like that. And it's for people who they claim up to 6'9. There is no way it fits people 6'9. Because uh, it's a six. Did they test it with six, Shaq or what? I don't know. I've seen people on a video on, on YouTube who were who was six eight says it was too short. So I figured maybe because it's you know he, he said it was tolerable. So I tried it and it's it's usable, but it's not it's not really made for people who are tall. It's better, but the whole point about saying that is that the XL version is more about the weight rather than the height. So if you got the version that's not XL that doesn't have as much of a weight limit, it might be softer cushion. So I would say that the XL cushion is pretty firm, but that might not be true for the so other So what versions. are you going to do? Are you going to keep this chair? Are you going to trade it in for a non-XL? What is your plan? Because I gave you a recommendation. The best chair I've ever had or owned was actually given to me as a, a gift, and it was a DX Racer. But I'm not tall like you, but they do make a DX Racer that's made for taller people out there. And I know DX Racer is very popular and a lot of people kind of poo-poo on it because it's a brand name out there in chairs that a lot of streamers were sponsored by. But I've had other off versions of the DX Racer, meaning copycats of it, and I don't like them as much. They fall apart faster. They don't last as long. DX Racer lasted me a solid six years. I'm interested in checking out the DX Racer for its different pieces of like the the functionality it has of what kind of options does it have for configurations and that sort of stuff. I didn't have a chance to look at it because you told me about it just right before we started doing the show. And I thought, that's great. I will check it out. But I haven't had time, but I will for the next episode. And I will be trying this, this chair out, the Titan still, for at least another week or so to kind of give it a chance. However... I do think that um, I might be looking at a different approach to how I even do it. I might go keep an, an ergo chair for office work for stuff when I'm doing something I need to have full intent thing. And then tr instead of trying to find a chair that solves everything from being comfortable, also being you know good for ergonomic and working, but to have two different chairs. One chair is for the relaxing and one chair for the work. That might be better for someone in my position where the chairs are never made for my size. Or, hear this, you could try to use the stool instead of leaving it in the corner. All right, Wendy. I use the stool. I, we've already established this. Oh, my goodness. By the way, before, if anybody's listening. So you'd have three chairs. No, the stool is not a chair. It's a, it's a, it's an Okay, uh, an I'm glad we established in that. In between. It, it's, I've never said it's a chair. It's an, it's, it's for active sitting, not sitting. It's very different. We've, there's a t-shirt, go to dealinstore.com and you can see what the active sitting, sitting stuff does. <laughs> I mean, I don't really, I don't think the shirt actually it explains it, but check out, uh, destinationlinux.org slash stool and you will find out why this whole conversation is even a thing. But before we move on, I want to say if anybody out there is listening and is a tall person and has a suggestion for an ergonomic office chair, Please let me know, because I would like to try. Please that just out. send stools. Just send stools, pictures of stools, and stool manufacturers. And that would be amazing, and I would love all of you even more. Wendy, what have you been up to? <laughs> well, first thing I'd like to mention, Ryan, you should know better. If you say something to Michael about a definition, you're going to get a book. So just so you know, you did that to yourself. <laughs> Second thing, I did something else to myself. And that was the kids had saved up their money and they wanted to buy a VR headset. If you want to know more about that initial conversation and what we were going to start out with, 
Go check out episode 95 of Deal and Extend. We go into depth about what the original option was going to be and why we ended up not going down that route. Now, the one the kids did purchase is an HTC Vive, and oh my goodness, we got one heck of a deal on this VR headset. After getting off the podcast with Matt, we started doing some looking and I headed over to probably one of my favorite places to buy used hardware. eBay is definitely not one of them, but I went over to Swappa and we ended up finding this Vive. It's practically brand new. It showed up today. It is super clean. The only thing that it didn't come with that was original was the original earbuds. Everything else It's the original everything. It has the box. It had the instructions. Everything was super clean. And we've been spending the afternoon setting that up. Now, I knew that VR headsets could be difficult, but I wasn't anticipating spending the entire afternoon getting all of this stuff to work. Now, to be fair, originally we were doing it on a Linux setup. We were doing it on Manjaro. I had one of the drivers that I don't think installed quite properly. So we were having different issues related to that. And I think there was some of the issues like directly with Steam that was going on. Interesting. So just before doing this show, I installed Windows, which is definitely not my favorite operating system on my daughter's laptop, right? And we will get everything updated to get everything checked out. I want to make sure that all of the hardware works, right? I don't want to think that we've got a solid system and blame it not working on Linux when maybe there's something else going on with the hardware and I can confirm that by booting into a different operating system. So we're getting all of that setting up, getting it ready to run. The kids are really excited about it. If everything works, and it's fine. It's one of those buys that the kids could probably turn around and make a little bit of money on. I've already told them if they get to fighting over who is using it, because it is one device shared among four kids, if they get to fighting over it, mom will sell it and I will pocket the extra I like it. And that money might go to what we're going to talk about later in the show, a new kind of camera coming out, but the HTC Vive, it's interesting you mentioned going into Windows. I've actually done this myself, especially in the earlier times with Linux, where I was very inexperienced, where I was like, oh, I'm having problems with this hardware. Let me go into Windows and make sure it works. And I would say almost 10 times out of 10, it has nothing to do with the operating system, interestingly enough. But in this case, I think you're doing the smart thing to check it out and make sure because you got such a great deal. There could be a reason they were, you know, trying to slip it in and sell it for such a good price. There could be something wrong with the device itself. Um, but if you get it working and update the firmware, then maybe, like you said, if, if it is a good device, then it will start working for Linux as well. But I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on how you like VR, especially if you get this Vive up and running. I've played with the PlayStation VR. I've played with VR at some of these game stores that they have where you can pay some money and i think they have the vive and some other ones there and they really do blow me away they're quite amazing but what is also interesting is that for me at least after about 20 30 minutes i'm completely exhausted and don't want to play them anymore because it's just something about it kind of gives me that feeling of seasickness 
almost if you have them on too long. So it'll be interesting to get your experience on that because it's definitely one of the popular VR headsets out there. Yeah, I don't know that I'll be able to play it just because there's lots of little vision things that trigger migraines for me. So I will definitely test it out, but I don't know that even that I would make it 30 minutes. The funniest thing, though, is the kids got this because they want to play Five Nights at Freddy's Help Wanted using this headset. And I think the best part of all of this for me is sitting in the living room, going to be watching the kids play the game and seeing them jump. I find it absolutely hilarious that my daughter wanted this game in the first place because the first time I watched her play Bendy and the Ink Machine, I don't know how many of you out there have played that game. But it's also along that horror line. And the first time I was watching her play, there was a jump scare and she like freaked (laughs) out, hands went in the air, the mouse is all over the place. In order to run away, she had to re- orient herself to what was up and down and I just about died laughing so I can't wait I really hope this works because I'm gonna be filming kids as they freak out from that's the gonna be exciting it's I want to see the videos from that too <laughs> nothing better than scaring your own kids they deserve it I will it. totally share with you <laughs> they deserve it absolutely now last time we got together you were talking about all of your fun not so fun adventures with the Mac Pro trash can has that gotten better It is. I mean, it's finally fixed. But let me tell you something. This Mac trash can gave me a real run for my money here. There's a couple of things that's really interesting, especially for those who do utilize different operating systems like Linux out there. A lot of times people will say that Linux is too difficult to get started. Maybe it's because of a driver issue or just the learning curve. And what this experience really taught me is that every OS that you're not familiar with has tons of paper cuts. In fact, the next time someone says working on a Linux machine is difficult, but Mac OS is easy, I will be very tempted to kick sand in their eyes because this was everything but easy. Sure, it works great when it's working, but when things go wrong, it's a completely different story. So the first trail that I went down to fix this device is I found out that Mac OS has certain firmware that's needed to be updated on the trash can to allow it to use aftermarket NVMe drives. No big deal. I figure I'll go out there to the site. I'll download the firmware, which I was able to find and install it, except it says your version of Mac OS, which was the latest Monterey, is not compatible with the firmware. So I do some more digging, searching on forums, finally find out that people say, oh, you can't install that firmware unless you're on one of the older versions of macOS. There's no possible way to install it otherwise. So I take the trash can from 2013 that supports Monterey, and I go and I download an older version of macOS, Catalina. Every support page I find says to go download Catalina from the App Store. That's the only place you can get it. So I find it in the App Store, and click get, it starts to download. It waits till the very end of the eight gigabyte download to inform me that it's too old of a version and can't install it. So it doesn't even let me like download it to burn it somewhere. It just downloads it. And if you click it, it tries to install it immediately. And it's like, hey, you're on a later version. You can't install this. It closes. That's it. There's no options left. 
So I go on some more support forums and find the super weird key combination, super alt shift R or some stupid combination of keys to get into the restoral mode for Mac. Then we can use something called internet restore, which will restore the device back to its original from 2013 operating system, which is Mac OS Yosemite. So I'm like, fine, it doesn't give you an option. Otherwise I'll install Yosemite. When I go to install Yosemite, it says, hey, you need Wi-Fi. Even though at the first screen, it asks for my Wi-Fi, it connects, asks for my password. The next screen, it says, you need to connect to Wi-Fi. And there's no indication of where you can actually connect to Wi-Fi. There's nothing on the screen that says connect Wi-Fi. There's no prompts. It just says you need to be connected to Wi-Fi. I finally just start clicking around, I guess, out of frustration. And I find in the white corner, white text, that actually is where you would set up Wi-Fi. So I click that, set up Wi-Fi. Finally, it restores me back to Yosemite. Now keep in mind at this point, this isn't like just an old version problem. I'm on the new Mac OS on this device. So this is happening on the new Mac OS. So I restore it back to Yosemite, fine. Go to install it, but it doesn't see that the NVMe drive is one terabyte. It only shows it as 32 gigabytes for some reason, the old Yosemite. So what I have to do now is install another USB drive to act as my main drive, install Yosemite on that and not install it on the one terabyte. Are you all following along so far? How fun is this? Mac OS is super easy, remember? It sounds amazing. It just works. I mean, it just works. <laughs> I'm so glad that I'm dealing with a VR headset and just trying to figure that out and not that. Mess. So, I, I, and I'm still not done. So now I need to, I realize after reading some more forums that there's firmware that you can download from their site, but there's also firmware that's only incorporated into some of the individual versions of Mac OS. That's not as a separate package. So I literally need to go from Yosemite and work my way up OS by OS, instead of skipping straight back to Monterey to make sure that I get all the firmware drivers that I need here. So I start and I go to upgrade to a new version like El Capitan. Well, you can't just search it for the app store anymore. You have to go to Apple support site, you download the PKG and then you install it. And then it takes a while, then you reboot and you're still not in El Capitan. No, all it did was install an icon when you go and download it into your app selection. That's where you would go and click it to install it. So, I mean, everything was very confusing. And I guess this is a very important story because somebody who maybe uses Mac all the time knows that if you download an upgrade, it's gonna go into your app folder and look like an app that you installed instead of going into your downloads folder. And that may be normal for them. But as somebody who doesn't work on Mac OS all the time, that took me a minute to find that out. So you double click install. I keep doing this version over ver version until I get to Sierra, Mac OS Sierra. But you can't upgrade from Mac OS Sierra to High Sierra because High Sierra, they changed the disk format. So now I'm stuck installing High Sierra on a secondary USB drive to then clone it back to the original drive. And then I finally am able to get the firmware that I need to install. But the issue still exists. The Mac keeps freezing and locking up. Not as frequently, but it's still there. So I open the machine up, I think about taking it out, setting it on fire, maybe using his target practice with a gun, and I pull out the NVMe drive 
and it comes with a M2 socket key so that it's adaptable to the original 2013 version. And when I pulled it out, and it's a very micro small key that converts it so that it can take a modern NVMe M2 drive. And I pull that little place off and I just start looking at the bracket and I pull and another one comes out. So there were two NVMe M2 conversion keys connected into that drive bay. And so when I pulled that one out, I started putting one back in at a time and testing, found out one of those actually had gone bad. So somehow during the process of the person who owned this, whoever upgraded it ended up putting two adapters in by accident. One of those adapters, when the drive, original drive was taken out, went bad. And once I did that and fixed it, boom, everything is solid now. And we have finally concluded the Mac 2013 trash can fix. Oh my goodness. Wow. This was a like a saga. Yeah. Like a, a hardware soap opera. <laughs> so anyways, anybody who says that other operating systems are just too difficult and Mac OS is so simple, sure, it's very simple and until something goes wrong. And if it's the operating system you use all the time, then you know probably how to work around those things. But for everybody else, it's a freaking disaster. The more you know. As the computer turns. <laughs> So are the days of our computers. But we fixed it. I don't have a soap opera. And Ryan is crying. I am I mean, crying. it was a soap opera. You just concluded. <laughs> now we know who the father is. I mean, I, fi- <laughs> right. I fixed it and I'm the father. <laughs> yes. This episode of Hardware Addicts is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now is the perfect time to dive into the DigitalOcean. Their new app platform service helps you build modern cloud-native apps for way less money. With the app platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever using a simple, intuitive interface. You simply point the app platform to your GitHub or your GitLab repository and let it do all of the heavy lifting. Whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, or container images, all of this is supported by the app platform. And they run the app platform on their own infrastructure, making it possible to keep the the costs significantly lower than with other products. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean's Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you could take more control of your infrastructure setup. And as a listener of the Hardware Addicts podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free building your world-changing app with the app platform. Actually, it gets better than free because if you go to do.co slash DLN, you get a $100 free credit. Again, go to do.co slash DLN, and they will give you a $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's app platform. I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. We live in interesting times where new hardware is teased to us, probably like kids who have parents that are dentists walking by a candy store, how they would feel. You see it, it looks beautiful, but you can never get your hands on it because you have scalpers, supply constraints, crypto mining. We have the perfect storm of dreamy hardware, but with no ability to actually get our hands on it. So it's all just one big tease. But still, even though I've tried to avoid it, I've tried to ignore it, we have to talk about the latest offerings out there from NVIDIA and AMD and everyone else who releases stuff, even if we can never get our hands on it because there's just not enough supply. So I wanted to talk about these two offerings because these are for people who have budget constraints. They're your typical budget cards. Although in this 
particular scenario where we have no supply, it's really for anybody who needs a video card and you need to get a hold of something. NVIDIA released their latest card called the GeForce RTX 3050. This is very much would be typically a budget card. It's priced around $250 to $300, depending on which version you have your eyes on. But MSRP is $250. Of course, <laughs> if you can find a card for MSRP, that would be amazing itself. The RTX 3050 sports DLSS and ray tracing is based on the Ampere architecture. It comes with 8 gigabytes of GDDR6 RAM. This is important to remember when we get to AMD's offering that has 8 gigabytes of RAM. Rumor is that they will not need a new production line for these chips since they're essentially 3060s that didn't make the cut. That's a rumor, but that's what I heard. It kind of makes sense. And the Ampere architecture at the heart of this card is better than that of the card it's replacing, which would be the GTX 1660Ti, which was based on Turing. And it looks really solid. Watching this card game, for those who've gotten their hands on it for review units and such, looks like it handles 1080p on ultra or high settings really well, capable of running 1440p games very comfortably with great frame rates, usually getting around right at 60 frames per second or just below that on ultra high with 1080p and with 1440p somewhere around 30 to 40 frames per second which is really good for a budget card running at 2K there. This is a really interesting offering from NVIDIA, and I'm happy that they have a budget option still being considered, considering the market that we're in. There's another offering out there that's similar from AMD. Now, typically, people have called me in the past. They've accused me, Michael, of being an AMD fanboy. Right. I, mm -hmm. I'm not a fanboy. I'm just a fan of what AMD's been doing. Yeah, because they've been making cool stuff. They have. They've been making cool stuff. And any company that makes cool stuff deserves to get praise. And AMD's been doing a lot of cool stuff. This, however, Michael, is not one of those moments. Uh-oh. Okay. Yeah. How so? How so? This is really, really bad. AMD, if you're listening, you need to pull the card off the market. It's that bad. Oh, wow. Wow. It's so bad they shouldn't have made it in the first place, Fab. Exactly. I've generated several catchphrases they could use for this pile of technological waste, like the AMD, we needed something new for our stock prices, but our fresh out of ideas card. Or we could call it, we hope you're not paying attention to the reviews when you buy this XT. X stands for excrement. Any of those oh. Oh. catchy? I mean, uh, they're, they're kind of too long. Um, I do, But I do <laughs> like the X for stands for excrement in the XT part. What's the T for? Uh, terrible? Uh, Terrible excrement, excrement terrible. I don't know. We'll figure that part out later once AMD pulls this off. I mean, there's not much extremely to say. Terrible. Extremely terrible XT could stand for. This card just screams desperation. It does use TSMC's six nanometer architecture, so power consumption is low, but that's because you'll never even want to turn your PC on if you get one of these. <laughs> how is it? Okay, I have to know. How, how is it that bad? We're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, another head scratcher is that it only uses four PCIe Express lanes on the Radeon RX 6500 XT. Most graphics cards, use, of course, would use the full X16 PCIe interface that you have, but not this one. No, it only uses four. We've seen eight before. We've never seen four before. So that's a real interesting move, which is obviously going to create a lot of throttling there. It does have smart access memory, Fidelity FX super resolution, and Radeon anti-lag. 
But that's not very exciting because these same technologies are backwards compatible with the previous gen budget cards anyways. So there's really nothing new there. It has 16 compute units and only 1024 stream processors. It does have a great price. It's $50 less than the NVIDIA at $199 in theory, assuming you can get one. But here's why this is such a pile of garbage besides the PCIe lane part is there's no hardware encoder. So you won't be streaming. You won't be doing any video editing. It lacks complete support for AV1 decoding as well as H.264 and H.265. You, wow. you get none of it. Nothing. What does it do? <laughs> this card, the only thing you can do with it is basically play a video game and boot your machine. If you want to do anything else, you're out of luck. And, and if you go back multiple generations, back to the budget cards of old, they none of them lacked support for doing this. None of them would dare take away hardware encoding capability. I can do hardware encoding on my six-year-old Intel CPU, GPU integrated chip, but I can't do it on this particular AMD. Plus, you get a dismal four gigabytes of RAM on this and only two display outputs on this card. And the only good thing I can really say about it is that you can't do Ethereum mining or anything else on it. So crypto miners wouldn't want to get it, but either do gamers want to get it. Uh, nobody really wants it because it's really bad. The memory bandwidth, for instance, is 144 gigabytes a second. The RTX 3050, 224 gigabytes a second. You want to know what I think this card was made for? Who? The garbage I can, can see this card being put in those cheap pre-built quote unquote gaming systems and then AMD is going to go back to having a bad rap and crappy cards. This is exactly what I feel this card was made for. Not me, you, anybody else on the market. It is a card that is being slapped out as much as they can for the development constraints or the building constraints that we have right now for these chips, but as a card that is being produced so that all-in-one PCs have something that they can put in there and say, hey, it's got AMD graphics. That's it. It's not for us. It's one of those products. I, I love that you said that, Wendy, because it's one of those products, in my opinion, that just screams, we don't care about our customer. We're going to go get the sucker that doesn't know any better, is so excited because they walk into Best Buy or Micro Center where they get a card and they see a video card sitting there and they grab it up and don't realize all of the limitations this thing has. I'm telling you right now, as much as I love AMD, as much as I've supported them, this is a complete slap in the face to their community to even release this thing. They should have never put it on the market, not with this type of issues. Now, if it could do video encoding, hardware encoding, then it would be okay. It's still bad. The PCIe lanes, the memory bandwidth, all of those problems are still existent, but it wouldn't be as terrible. For $50 more, you need to get your hands on the NVIDIA GeForce RTX 3050, which as I understand it, launched and is already sold out. So you probably won't get your hands on either. But if you could pick between the two, leave the AMD on the shelf. This would be one of those times where, yeah, I would be 100% into NVIDIA if I had a choice between one of these two cards. Now, is that NVIDIA card going to be the end-all, be-all? No, it's definitely not one of their top tiers. But if you're looking for something that can do some 
1080 gameplay, you're better off to go NVIDIA. And I'm really sad to see AMD put this out. I know that I've been kind of fangirlish over AMD in the past, and this is really, really disappointing to see this hardware being put out. I mean, I've been using AMD stuff like exclusively. Like I have AMD GPU, AMD CPU, and I've been using the AMD stuff for years now. And I've been a fan... Kind, uh, I mean, to be fair, I'm also not much of a hardware person, and that's why I'm the Padawan. My experience with the AMD hardware has been fantastic. I mean, I've been a huge fan. And this sounds horrendous. This sounds like n- there's no value to it when you can spend $50 more and get something that can do all of the basic stuff that this thing can't do. Like, the fact that it can't do any hardware encoding and it can't do any decoding of AV1, okay, that's not that popular, but not being able to do H.264, what? That has been like the most common basic thing for like the past decade, and they don't have the support for that. I'm. That's just, that's sad. That's just really sad. That's a... I have an old graphics card. I have an RX 580, and there is no way in the world I would pull out my RX 580 and put in this new AMD card. Yeah. You would be better off getting an older AMD GPU out there, one of the other XTs, prior XTs, like 5700 XT, something like that. Anything but this card, basically. And AMD should know better. You know, they have done so much good work out there, but it's really a perfect example and reminder of why you should never become a fan of a company. I mean, it's fine to praise a company, enjoy some of the cool things that they're doing. At the end of the day, they all roll up to stockholders and they're just going to put things out on the market to try to get the stock to go up. And even if that means they're going to make a bunch of people upset along the way, this thing should have never hit the market. It doesn't belong in the market. It belongs in the trash can, like the Mac 2013 trash can. This makes me think that the AMD should now stand for, based on this particular card, a mistake done. You got to do a better dad joke for that before we move on, though. Well, I have plenty of dad jokes, but I mean, I mean, I, I'm not. I'm going to save them for the for the next section. But this one was just like, I was. How did how do I do with the the AMD and, and X? If they had better names, like they gave me something like the Alchemist or to work with Radeon. Yeah. yeah, if I had something to work with, I would have been able to do it. But this, you know, sixty five hundred XT is that what it's called? I mean, at least give us something to. Oh, it is a Radeon. Never mind. Leave leave it Radeon the shelf. There you Good go. Good job. It was better than the other one, for sure. I'll make up for it later. I'm sure you will. We'll all cringe here shortly. Right now, we're not trusting AMD, but you know what you can trust? Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentications, such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for teams, individuals, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. Say you want to support this super awesome open source project. That starts at just $10 per year. And what comes with that premium account? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, vault health reports, TOTP authenticator storage and generation plus priority customer support. 
make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. If you're like me though, you're going to want to show your appreciation and get that premium edition that starts at just $10 per year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. Before we get into Camera Corner, I just want to mention one thing. While all the hardware encoding stuff we talked about is the case, you still could technically on the AMD card do software encoding. But again, the limitations with memory, PCIe, all of that make this just a no-go. But I did want to mention that because I'm sure someone will be like, well, you can still do software encoding. Well, yes, but you're buying a separate GPU for a reason. All right, Wendy. Take us into Camera Corner and tell us how Canon has stepped up their video game. One of the reasons why we have praised Sony in the past is because you could use the really great video capabilities of the camera without having any time limit for that video. At the same time, being able to take really, really nice images. But I think Canon has heard all of that praise that we have given to Sony. This device is the... Canon EOS R5C, total mouthful, not a really great naming convention, but I really don't think any of Canon cameras are great on naming either. But this one takes the best of both worlds. And you're going to have to look at some pictures of this camera body because I think it's really pretty cool. It is. It's really unique. It almost has like a backwards filming well it look i guess it, it's just the picture but it, it almost extends out into your palm the back of the camera instead of just being completely flat so that you have more control of the record button it yeah looks like. it, but that's not the only reason why this body shape is a little different you can have unlimited amounts of recording time on this camera plus you can do very very high speed high speed for a camera body like this at 8k without having any time limits and that's because there is a fan built into this camera to help cool that sensor there's a couple different ways that you can make that work you can have it set so it's on a low speed and it's running all of the time or you can have it set to when you're not doing active recording when it's you're just looking through the viewfinder using it then it's got a higher speed and cooling down those sensors That's one of the biggest issues when you're using a mirrorless camera or even a DSLR and you're recording video through it or you're doing a live video capture type setup, that sensor gets really hot. And as that sensor gets hot, it degrades the quality of the video. It interferes with that electrical communication that needs to go on from the sensor itself back to the processing parts of it and can have a direct effect on pixelization, graininess of your image. This is one of those ways that Canon has really balanced out the needs. Now, it is made for professionals. This isn't your average everyday starter body that somebody can just pick up and grab. This is made for people who need to get both really high image shots and really high quality video shots. It is made for professional use. One of my favorite things about the features of this camera is they know that there is such a wide variety of people that are using things like this as webcams for all kinds of different content. And from day one out of the box, you're supposedly supposed to be able to use this one 
as a webcam. Very nice. So a couple questions. Number one is I don't see an auto mode on this. So that may take me out of the running for using this camera. There's no auto mode switch that I can yes. see. That's frustrating because th <laughs> then I would have to use settings. This camera assumes that you are going to be using manual settings that you know exactly what you want. Wrong. And they're on how the switches on the top. <laughs> One of the really cool things about how this works is you can be on photo mode or just video mode. And the menus, those digital menus in the back, change based on what mode you're in. So it's not just the same menu that you'll see either time and some parts of it are grayed out. No, they are completely different menus that are individualized specifically the function that you're in. I zoomed in on one of the pictures and noticed it has the dual SIM cards, which is nice. That's as a protection in case one of the cards basically goes bad or gets corrupted. But and also probably gives you more storage space as well. But I noticed on the lid, it says, be careful, hot on a lid that goes over the SD cards. That seems unusual to me. But again, my only comparison is really entry level DSLRs and the Sony mirrorless where you don't have warnings about it being hot. It's probably not going to be the point where you're going to be burned to boils. But yeah, you are you're able to shoot at 8K at these higher speeds and all of that is going to be generating more heat at the same time that is where some of your exhaust is coming from on that sensor fan and so you don't want to be holding that you don't want to be covering that you're going to have hot air blowing out of there it is really made to be used in more extreme conditions and super heavy. It's interesting use. you mentioned that because on the other side of the camera, you can actually see the vents, which would be opposite of the SD card. So you probably have heat hitting both of the sides trying to get out and only one side has the vent because they needed to have mm -hmm. room for the SD card. So it'll be interesting if now with active cooling, if you're going to start having issues with your camera overheating or problems along those lines, or even the components going bad and dying early because the camera's just like any other electronic eats its worst enemy. And that's part of the reason why they haven't done this in the past, put these two together with unlimited video. They really need to have some active cooling in order to get all of those processes built into one system. This is a brand new camera body. It's the first generation just like this. So it'll be interesting to see how well it does hold up over time. How well are they actively being able to get that sensor cooled, get the other parts cooled? Time will tell. So at $4,499, Wendy, is this the mirrorless that's on your list of cameras you would pick up as a professional? If I was really heavy into video shooting, it is definitely one that I would consider. And it is because of... All of the features that go into this. Most of the time when you're shooting video on a DSLR camera, you get the histogram. The histogram is a visual representation of how much light and how much dark is in your image. And you can tell whether things are too bright or too dark based on looking at that histogram. When you are doing videography, there are different tools that you're going to want to see that is not a histogram. And this camera body lets you do that. It really has a high quality camera built into it that would be just for video. And then alongside that, you have all of these really cool photo options as well. 
So for me, it's not the end-all be-all camera of my dreams, but it is an amazing piece of hardware that's being put out there by Canon. Michael, do you think we could budget two of these cameras to use as our webcams for our podcast? I don't know. I was thinking about that, and I don't know if we could do that because for us, not having the auto mode might be a little (laughs) bit... It might make it an unpredictable camera, a.k.a. a loose cannon. Oh, he did it, Wendy. He delivered <laughs> there it. There we go. Well done. He did. He got it A in there. Cannon. So what you could do is you could budget just one for me, and I will use it in Camera Corner. That'll be its own separate show sometime this year. Ooh, look at that. Well, listen, uh, <laughs> we're not letting Camera Corner break off from Hardware Addicts. Uh, it's somewhere in the contract with really small print. Um, but you can make your own other hardware camera show you just have to call it something else but you have to give us all the scoops here on hardware addicts oh trust me you'd get everything camera corner isn't leaving here but there are certain things that i would love to be able to show people that i can't do in an audio podcast form. because sometimes people take me seriously everything i said there about a contract was a joke and i'm so excited about camera corner having its own video portion and one of the reasons we don't do video on this podcast by the way is because Wendy's internet connection isn't so great and can't handle it yet. We're trying to find ways to work around that. Well, maybe one day it will have video and we can show some of the stuff that we're talking about. But for now, there will be links in the show notes so you can check out all of these products, including this new Canon. And it looks awesome. And I would love to use this, but at $4,499, it's out of my price market and it doesn't have an auto mode, as Michael said. So we just got to let it go, Michael. We just have to let it go. I mean, I guess we'll just we'll just deal with it. Oh well. But that's it. Our fifty-fourth episode of Hardware Addicts is a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all the great content on the Destination Linux Network. Head to destinationlinux.network and check out all the amazing podcasts, YouTube partners. There's lots of video programs and things out there for you to check out. There's so much there to fill your brains with. Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, build, innovate, and grow. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next time for another episode of Hardware Addicts, where you can be a fanboy or fangirl of the show, because unlike AMD, we'd never make a massive disaster. Wow, you canon, he said. You, you can't, did you see that, Wendy? So many. I don't know about us not making... well. We, in general, don't make a massive disaster, but sometimes you, as Michael, make... Yes. No. Okay, yeah. so bumps. dad jokes are fantastic, and, and they have to be in every episode and every it's show, true. for sure. Kind of a thing. And uh, th- for those who don't know, I'm not a father, so uh, the dad jokes, you could actually call me a faux pas. Hey, Michael, how much does a fireplace oh cost? Gosh. Oh, what's that? Nothing. It's on the house. <laughs> <laughs>